0: So if you turn to your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 10 through 13. Um, we're, we're going to try to do all the rest of the chapter, but um, 14 through 17, really 15 through 17 is, is uh, me and Greg talked about it, it's, it's deep. There's a lot of stuff there, so we didn't want to rush through that section on the word and how powerful it is. And honestly, once I started working on this, there's a lot in the first three verses too. So, uh, so we'll get through this and have a good time and just try to uh, just hear God's word and just try to take it in. So if you're there, let's read. Uh, just, uh, I'm going to read 10 through 17 so we have the... the actually, I'm, I'm going to start back in verse 8 um, because it kind of 10 through 13 kind of blends with that a little bit. Uh, so verse 8 says, Just as and J- Jans and Jambres opposed Moses, <clears throat> so these men also opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith." But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janius and Jamboree's folly was also. Now verse 10. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, but evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worst, deceiving and being deceived. So as I started putting this together, I was, um, of course, I was trying to do the whole section, so I was really trying to find out what the the gist of that was, and like I said, I think he really breaks it up because in verse 14, he kind of transitions to uh, Timothy and how he learned his stuff and where he learned it from and and that it is God-directed and God-centered. But the first part, he kind of goes back and he's trying to characterize himself and what Timothy needs to do, again, um, in contrast to the false teachers. If we remember last week when Greg was teaching, if you weren't here, I'll just get a little bit of a review on just that last part. So Janice and Jamborees were uh, post-Moses, so they were not necessarily given names in the Old Testament, uh, but it is believed that they were the magicians uh, that went against Moses under Pharaoh. And so um, they've given them names here. Um, I think Greg mentioned that some of the extra writings they've given them names. So these men are imposters, right? They were fake magicians uh, that went up against Moses, and they could not come against the power of God, the one true God what Moses had in him with the staff. So, um, so that's what he's kind of relating here. And so they just keep getting worse and worse and worse, um, and their folly will be obvious to all. And so then Paul goes into what Timothy should be. And if we think about what we've learned through the second book, he's done this a lot, right? If you go back to chapter one, you know, join with me in suffering. Um, you know, do not be timid. God didn't give us a power of timidity, but of or a spirit of timidity, but of power and, tr- and truth. So, like, there's a lot of things that he is trying to make him follow, follow his example of. And so, in these three short ver- or these three long verses, he's actually showing Timothy, I think, three distinct things here. And he comes off with it, and he s- says, "Now." Now you followed, and that's pretty strong. So if you want to do an outline, it's really simple. It's two points. One, it's going to be the characteristics of a true follower of Christ. So the characteristics of a true follower of Christ, which is, going to be Timid, uh, which is going to be Paul. And then second, we have the imposters, and we'll get to that in a little bit. And so as he contrasts here, he starts off with, now you followed. And follow here is a very strong word. It means to conform to. So it doesn't mean... Just to walk behind somebody doesn't mean to. Um, you're on the interstate and you're following a car in front of you. It actually means to come along and conform to whatever you're following. So you come, you take on their personality, you take on their likes. Um, William Barclay says, "Follow means this." Is a quote from William Barclay. He says it means to follow a person physically, to stick by him through thick and thin, to be by his side in fair weather and in foul. It means to follow a person mentally to attend diligently to his teaching and to fully understand the meaning and the significance of what he says. It means to follow a person spiritually, not only understand what he says, but also to carry out his ideas and to be the kind of person that he wishes us to be. And this was what Paul was commanding Timothy to do, was to follow him on all these ways. Because remember, Paul knows he's about to be executed. He's, his life is almost over. He's getting to go to be with our Lord Savior Jesus. And he knows that Timothy is the one that has to carry on this message. And if we think about Paul's life, which I think there's a lot, a lot of scripture on Paul's life, and I was trying to go back and think after Paul was converted, Paul's whole life was devoted to Christ. If anybody in, the, in, in scripture you want to follow, other than Christ, of course, would be Paul. If we look at all the other apostles, that we have writings on, if we look even in through, the, um, through the gospel presentations, and we look at Timothy's life, we see wavering, we see faltering. But when you look at Paul's life, you never see any of that, that I could find. Paul was strong, and he even tells the Corinthians, you know, follow me, you know, do what I do, be imitators of me, he says that several different times. And so we need to understand that when we have what we have, we obviously need to follow and live out Christ's life, but Paul was a... Great, almost, I wouldn't say perfect, because nobody's perfect except for Christ, but he was a great example of this. And that's what he's telling Timothy to do. You need to follow everything that I did. You need to conform to how I live my life after conversion. And these are the things he's going to teach him how to do, right? He says, you need to follow my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. It's a long list of things, but we're going to break it down a little bit for us so we can understand a little bit more because I think he's broken it down in three different categories. So I think you have the first is teaching, conduct and purpose. Those are Paul's ministry duties, right? So that's as a minister, this are the duties that he needs to fulfill. He needs to be able to teach. He needs to be able to conduct his life in a godly manner as an elder, and his ultimate purpose was to, of course, spread the gospel. we'll break those down a little bit more. And then he has faith, patience, love and perseverance. These are Paul's personal attributes that he's calling Timothy to have of his own, too. Not to have something else, but to have, not that you can't have more, but these are vital to a man of God and a preacher and an elder. Those are the qualifications that they need to have, the personal attributes. And then last, you have the persecutions and the sufferings. And these are just the difficult experiences that Paul has warned in Timothy several times that he's going to go through, right? Suffer with me. Join me in suffering in prison. So there's all kinds of suffering with me preaching the word in, in chapter 2. So there's a lot of suffering that Paul has told Timothy he's going to have to do. And so there are going to be difficult times. So let's look at the first one here. Let's look at teaching. So t- teaching is the first ministry duty. So teaching. Why do you all think Paul puts that first? Out of all the, all the ministry duties, why do you think teaching is first? Sorry, the fan, sorry. Right. So teaching lays the groundwork, right? How do I know what to do if I don't hear the teaching, right? He tells us in, you know, in Romans, how do they know if nobody goes and tells them about it, right? So how do we know this gospel? How do we know scriptures if nobody teaches? So teaching is huge here. And it's the first groundwork. Paul's teaching, though, is a little different than most people's teaching. Paul's teaching is different than my teaching, right? Paul had teaching was divine, right? Paul's teaching came stri- straight from Jesus himself. And how do we know that? It's not it's explicit in scripture, but I think we can get it out. If you want to turn to uh, Galatians chapter 1, this is to me the a great example of that we can see that Paul got his teaching directly from Christ. After his conversion on the road to Damascus, um, he was told by Christ how much he would have to suffer for him and what his goal was was to go out and to preach the words of the Gentiles. And then um, I believe he spent, was taken out to the desert and spent time there with Christ and learned from him. And this is kind of the example of the the description of that. So Galatians chapter 1 starting in verse 11, he says, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For For I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of many of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries, among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. So we can see from this that Paul was taught. By Jesus, I believe, and I I don't know if it's kind of just coincidence it was three years and it was three years that Jesus spent three years with his disciples, right, from age 30 to 33, but um, obviously he was able to get the information he needed and all the the learning that Jesus wanted him to have in that time. And then he went up to visit with Cephas, who was also known as Peter, and they discussed what he learned for just 15 days, and then Cephas agreed who he was and sent him on his way to start preaching the gospel. And from that point on, Paul never stopped, right? At that point, Paul was always, his goal was to preach the gospel to whoever he could and whoever listened. But it's even more than this. So we see that a lot of the writing, we have 13 books written in the New Testament by Paul. That's a lot of the 26 books of the New Testament. So we know it was divine. And later on, and we'll, Greg will him this next week, You know, we, we learn that not only was Paul's teaching from divine revelation, but it also, he wrote a lot of stuff. It was God-breathed, right? For all scripture is God breathed, he tells us that in verse uh, 16. All scripture are inspired by God, but the better rendering of that is all scriptures is, is breathed by God, as profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So we can see that teaching is very vital and very important and that it was not just Paul's own ideas, it was actually Christ who taught him these things. It is the doctrine that we as Christians must live by, right? We live by Paul's teachings, which is the word of God and all the teachings that are in the, in the scriptures, not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament, right? So that's, that's number one. He had to follow my teaching. So if you didn't follow your teaching, he's going to go off on the trail and he's probably going to go like the, the imposter, which we'll see here in a little bit. He's going to go after the imposters, right? And he'll start doing a false teaching that so many lead to do. And unfortunately, if he doesn't stick with the teaching that he learned from Paul, And again, remember, the followers conform to, so become alongside to take all that in and to do exactly what Paul had taught him. And then next he goes on to talk about his conduct. So now you followed my teaching. And actually, if you want to translate this out correctly, it should be, now you followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, which really emphasizes each one. So it's not like they're just grouped together. Each one individually is very vital and very important. And so now it's my conduct. So we think about the conduct of of Paul's life and how he lived. If we look at, we can go through a ton of scripture and see, but I think the old adage of, you know, do what I say, not what I do, did not live up with Paul, right? Paul did what he said. He preached the word, he preached the way to live a Christian life, and he lived that way. Many times, he's, he's not a burden to the people he came upon, right? He would work all day. He would work and make tents or with leather, however you want to see this profession. Um, and then he would preach the gospel on the side so he wouldn't be a burden to people. And he talked a lot about that. Like, right? if you don't work, you don't eat, right? And if you have the ability to work, you need to. And he didn't just say it, he did it, right? Now, there were times when he was blessed with gifts from those of churches and would be able to dedicate all his time to ministry and to preaching. Um, but he did not take advantage of that. And it was gifts that were given to him. So he lived his life out like that, and he did all that stuff that, um, that was for him. You know, he, he was a man who uh, laid down his life for Christ, right? Philippians 1, 21, he says, to live is Christ, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? His whole life was dedicated to, for Christ. But the conduct I, hear, I see here, you know, and he preached and he did the, he did the word, And he taught the word uh, perfectly. But it led me to think, too, on a second thought, can you preach the word rightly but live not a godly life? What do you think about that? Can you preach a godly message but your life not be a godly life? I see you shaking your head, Steve. (laughs) It's called a hypocrite. Yeah. But does does that work? Does does God's message get out by somebody whose life does not represent what they are proclaiming from the pulpit? Or if you have acquaintances, friends, or or people you work with that claim to be believers and will say Christian things and say some things the way you should act, but then you see their life and it doesn't reflect that? Do you, anybody know about that? Yeah, Steve. Right. Yeah, it shouldn't be how it is. Yeah, so if y'all couldn't hear him, he was talking about Robbie Zachariah. If you don't know who Robbie Zachariah was. He was an apologetics, um, apologist, Christian apologist, and was really good. Um, but then he turned out not to be such a good guy, unfortunately. So, um, But you're right. I do think a lot of people heard those things and become believers. I think about a lot of the churches, you know, I don't want to necessarily call things out, but I I'll, I'll will. Like the Catholic Church, right? We would say that the Catholic Church does not preach necessarily God's truths, you know, it, it, they add things to Christ. It's Christ plus this or Christ plus that. Um, and so their message not always, always is correct, but we can't say, like a whole lifetime, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? We can't say that people in those congregations aren't believers, right? They, their message can reach them, right? And how do we know that? We know that by scripture, right? Again, Philippians 1.18, Paul says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. So even Paul knew that there was bad teaching out there, or there were bad people that their lives were not reflecting what the message of Christianity was, right? He knew there were people out there that were doing it for gain, were doing it for preaching for money. And you know what's funny? you think about this, Nothing's changed. This is over 2,000 years ago and stuff still happens today. Still people still today preach to get money. You know, they become missionaries just because they don't really want to get a real job and they want to go stay in some place. And I'm not calling everybody out on that, but there's a lot. We see that a lot. Um, And so there's still people that use it for gain. But Paul says right here, it doesn't matter. As long as Christ is preached correctly and Christ is preached, he rejoices. And we should too. But we also should learn to follow the correct teaching. That's why he leads off with that. And let our conduct in our lives be an example to, to everyone we come in contact with. I mean, think about this. How much more confirming is it to you and your faith when you see somebody that's teaching and you see their life and it mingles, and matches, right? It lines up. So it's really a lot more confirming, you know, and I think that's what we need to see and we need to, but we also need to hold those people accountable too, right? We need to hold us accountable to teach. We need to hold us accountable here that claim to be believers. And and that's the way we do that. I mean, we grow together, right? So Paul's conduct was matching of his teaching, and it never changed. You know, I think about all the times he was in prison. You know, he, was, he took the opportunity to witness to the guards around him. You know, he would invite people to come visit his first imprisonment when he had a lot of freedom. He'd invite people to come and in and listen to him teach. And he took that as an opportunity where he had settled God had like put him in a place for once, so he wouldn't walk around and had people come to him. People still came to him, but his life was represented that. His life, even in prison, was an example. We can go back to um, Joseph in the Old Testament. You know, he lived what he taught, right? What he was taught, he lived. He was persecuted. He was thrown in prison. Um, he was accused of things he didn't do, but he held true to God, and God blessed him for that. Of course, God needed that too, right? So we have his teaching. Teaching is. What we need to follow, we need to follow his conduct. We need to be men and women who stick to what we say. Um, a good example of that is of parents, too. We've we learned that quickly, right? You can't tell your kids to do something if you're not gonna do it, right? Um, it's it, they see it very quickly. You can get away with that a little while when they're young, but the older they get, they figure it out pretty quickly. Well, if you're not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, right? Or you're telling me to do this, but I don't see you ever doing this. Or you know, it, they'll call you out pretty quick. They they can spot a hypocrite quick, quicker than we can sometimes. Um, so our life needs to be, our conduct needs to be right before God. And then he goes on and he goes. The next one is uh, his purpose. Paul's purpose, and we've hit on this a little bit because this, but the teaching and his conduct leads into his purpose. And I'd ask you, what was, what was Paul's ultimate purpose in life? Should be an easy question, right? Or not? Where? Yep, proclaim the gospel. It's simple. Paul's purpose in life, once he was converted, was to proclaim the gospel. You know, we see that all through. And it wasn't just any gospel, but it was the true gospel, right? The true, the true message of Christ is what he wanted to proclaim. First Corinthians 9, 16 for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing, nothing to boast of. For I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Is that our attitude? I'll be honest, sometimes it's not. Sometimes when you're with your friends or if you're with your co or something like that and something comes up, sometimes it's easier just to avoid those conversations sometimes than it is to dive right into them. If you've ever done dive right into them, it can get awkward pretty quickly sometimes. And so sometimes it doesn't feel like it's the time. But if you look at Paul, it didn't matter. Wherever he went, he preached the gospel. And we should have that same attitude. And he's telling Timothy here, you need to have this attitude as well. Acts 20, 17 through 21. It says, and when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see Paul's life. His purpose was to preach the word, however he could do it. You know, you know the when you read through Acts and you read through his missionary journeys, the first thing he did when he went to a city was go straight to the synagogue and start preaching the word to them. If they kicked him out, he would go to whoever would listen, right? He had people that would follow him, and he'd be like, come on, let's go talk more, and I can teach you the things of God. We know the, the story of him teaching all through the night where the kid falls out of the window and dies. He picks him back up, heals him, uh, yeah, brings him back to life, and he keeps on preaching. You know, Paul's goal was to preach, and he knew that his limited time that he had, and he needed to get the message out so his purpose was to preach the word. And Timothy knew this, right? He's not telling Timothy anything new that, that is out there. He had been with Paul since his early childhood, right? Paul picked him up in Lystra in chapter 16, don't know exactly the, the time frame there, but he was really young, probably in his probably early 20s, maybe even a little bit younger than that. And he was with Paul for a long time. He was with him in Rome in prison. But Paul knows of Timothy's attitude. and He knows Timothy's love for the gospel and how to, pre- how to present it. Paul knew Timothy's spirit. In Philippians two nineteen through 22, he talks about it. He says, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition." For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, talking about Timothy, you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. So Paul knew that Timothy's desire was to preach the word as well. And again, he's just reminding Timothy through these two letters to encourage him. It's like uh, going to... If you don't, I haven't lost a, a parent yet, but if you have lost a parent, and I don't know if you've got the wisdom from them, on, if you got to see them before they pass, maybe they imparted some wisdom to you. That's what Paul's doing. Here. He's like, I know you. I know your spirit. I've been with you. You've been with me for years. I'm just reminding you of these things. And I'm reminding them that this is the ultimate pur- purpose. And so we have his teaching, his conduct, and his purpose that go together. And that's his ministry duties. And as we look at that, we have to have some... Attributes to go along that. So then Paul transitions to you have to have faith, patience, and love. So Paul's reminding of faith. And this is not saving faith that Paul is talking about. This is the faithfulness that we should all have. And we talked about this last time I talked. Another rendering, another translation, or another meaning for the word is trust, trustworthiness, right? To be trustful. You're faithful in all things. We cannot be hypocrites. We need to be people that live out the Christian life. We can't go around telling people the purpose of life and not be living it, right? Unfortunately, though, today in society, that's not really how it is. There's there's a lot of people out there that would be considered faithful, but when you start to look at their lives, their lives don't represent a faithful life. So as I was studying this on faithful, I I came across this uh, rendering of three applications from Paul's faithfulness to the gospel. And this comes, this is not me, so I'll go ahead and give props to this guy. So this is Dr. Steve Swartz. Um, he is a, he's a founder, he's, he's part of Grace Ministries under uh, John MacArthur. He does go speak on MacArthur stuff sometimes, but he also church plants under Grace. Um, so these, this came from his website, and so I'm going to give him credit for that. Um, and it says, three applications from Paul's faithfulness to the gospel. It says, Paul endured more suffering than many of us will ever experience. Yet he was faithful to the gospel in every situation. He did not waste his time of suffering and waiting. He used it to further the gospel and serve the Lord. In Acts 28, we see three examples of how Paul used different times to be faithful to the gospel. So number one, Paul's faithfulness to the gospel prevented waiting from being his focus. So in Acts 28:17 through 22, Paul is waiting for his trial. But he did not focus on his waiting. He gathered the Jewish leaders together to speak to them, taking advantage of the opportunity to witness to them. Times of suffering or waiting are not times to waste by doing nothing. There are always ways to serve the Lord and to be faithful to to share the gospel, especially in times of distress. The hope of the gospel shines even brighter in dark and uncertain times, and Christians should follow Paul's example of faithfully witnessing during those times. That was number 1. Number 2. Paul's faithfulness to the gospel caused him to be more concerned about the future of others than his own present suffering. In the following verses, 23 through 28, we see that Paul's gospel is future-oriented as he proclaims the kingdom with Jesus Christ as the key to being part of the kingdom. In the midst of a, suffering, of a suffering present, his concern was for the future of others. As we have seen many times in this series, our suffering is never just about us. There's always a bigger picture in God's great plan, and we should always keep that in mind as we take advantage of opportunities to show concern for others. Number three, Paul's faithfulness to the gospel created warmth and welcoming in the midst of his suffering. In verses 29 through 30, Paul finds many relationship to opportunities in his writing. I mean, sorry, in his waiting. His concern for the lost drove him to welcome anyone to hear the gospel. He did not shut himself off from the world to suffer in silence. Excuse me. He used the time to love others and further the gospel. It can be so tempting to schedule ourselves or seclude ourselves during difficult times. But Paul reminds us that our lives are not our own. Telling others of the kingdom of God and the salvation of Jesus Christ is far more important than taking the easy route of waiting idly. Turn your time of waiting into a time of service to the Lord and faithfulness to the gospel. That's pretty powerful, right? And I'm always reminded, my wife does a great job of reminding me of our, our eternal perspective. And that's what he's talking about here. Our minds should always be on the eternal perspective. And that's what Paul's mind was on. And that's our future with Christ in heaven, right? And that's what we need to be. We, we waste our time during a day doing stuff that doesn't matter. or We get woe to ourselves, and we get depressed. Go be with people. Go talk with people. Reach out to someone. Because not only it's going to help you, you don't know what that person is going through either. They I mean, it may just be a, a time that they needed you right when you called them that, at that moment or reached out to them, right? So we need to be eternally focused, and we need not waste our time that we have here. The older I get, the less time I feel like we have. I don't know, when you're young, it's funny, you know, year seems forever, right? I remember when I was little, it was like Christmas would never get here. Now it's like, oh, gosh, Christmas is almost here already, already you know it, it just goes by so fast. I mean, think about the summer. I feel like the summer just started. School starts back next week. Some of you, I think it's probably already started. I mean, time just flies by. And we only have so little of it. You know, Ecclesiastes is very clear on that. You know, our life is like a vapor. It vanishes in a blink of eye. And if you just waste it, we're not doing what God has called us to do. We're not being faithful and being faithful to his message and what he's called us as Christians to do. And so... Our faithfulness, though, we, can, we don't want to be too aggressive sometimes. And we don't want to push too hard sometimes. And I think that's why his next one is you need to be patient. And I'm going to be honest. This is my hardest one. <laughs> I, I am not a very patient person. I'm working on it. I think I'm getting a lot more patient over my times. Uh, but I am not a very patient. Can anybody say they're a truly patient, patient person? I would know. I, I'm, I'll give him props because I, I spend a lot of time with well, Mr. Boudreaux is a very patient person. He is just even killed most of the time. He is very patient when it comes to um, just, I've seen him with his kids, I've seen him with his wife, I've seen him with me. <laughs> He's very patient. And you know, if I have issues or I have questions about Scripture, you know, it's, it's, I have a tendency if somebody comes to ask me a question, I, I think I got another answer right away. You come to, come to uh, Phil Philip, he will. Um, he takes his time. He's patient with it. He really thinks about the answers before he just gives you what uh, what, he, what is on his mind. He wants to make sure that it's biblically correct. He's a very patient man. Again, me on the other hand, I'm, I'm learning that. But we all need to have this attribute, right? This is a main attribute of God. This is one of the fruits of the Spirit. God is long suffering. Think about this. Think how long. I mean, if wherever you six thousand years, He still. His plan is still working its way out. He is long-suffering for us. All us, all the times that we fail Him and don't do the things that we we're supposed to do or He's called us to do, God is long-suffering for us. A little example from my life, um, you know, I don't know if they've ever heard this adage, you know, don't pray for patience and strength, right, because God will test you on both of them, which He tests you on everything, or He puts you through a lot of stuff. But when I was uh, first dating Cindy, it's been about a year, and I was probably a, a very, I don't, I don't even know if I was a believer at that point, honestly, um, but I was trying to grow and learn. And then she has her master's in education. So her grad school year, she had an opportunity to go to Pulaski, Tennessee. Everybody been to Pulaski, Tennessee? They have a huge, it's a place in Tennessee, middle Tennessee. It's kind of in the hills. But anyway, she got an opportunity to go there for the year to do an internship to teach. And most it would pay a lot of her school for grad school and stuff. So it kind of would helped, help us out. And so uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine who was a very strong believer. And uh, I was like, man, I just need patience. And he's just like, don't pay for patience, at peace uh, pay, uh, patience and strength, because God will test you on it. But I was like, no, I'm going to pray for those patience. And it's uh, just because I just need to know. And of course, there goes Cindy for a year off to Pulaski, Tennessee. And uh, that was a long year. It was a lot. I needed a lot of patience, because that was a three-hour drive. Didn't get to see her every weekend. Um, but um, but he tested me on that, and we, we made it through. So my point on that saying that, though, is, is that... With God, all things are possible, right? No matter what. But we are called to be patients. And think about it. If we're going to have a view, eternal view of life and of Christ, we need to be patient. You know, I think about all the things that God has done over the centuries and what he's put up with and how patient he is. We only have to be patient, if you're lucky, 90 years, you know, it's not that long, right? It's going to go by really, really fast. So patience is a big one. And I think we need to make sure that we have that perspective and be patient with what God's doing. So when you're teaching with somebody, when you're ministering with somebody, be patient with them. Not everybody is at the same place that you are, right? Or maybe they're a little further and you're the one that realizes, wow, I need to work with them. And they need to be patient with me as I learn these things, as I try to grow and mentor. Um, but think about that, especially when you're when you're discipling somebody or even when you're witnessing to somebody. Um, you need patience, right? Not everybody's going to drop to their knees and, and and repent right before you, right? Um, did a mission trip, I think I've talked about this before, did a mission trip over to the Czech Republic, um, long, About two, I think it was 2001. And Czech Republic is communist, or was communist uh, for a long time. And the communists, what they first thing they do is they get religion out of a country, right? Because if you believe in any, they are the religion, right? If you, if you know anything about communist countries. And it's kind of sad too, because Prague, if you've ever been there, it's beautiful. I mean, there's some, there's beautiful, St. Peter's is there, and there's all this artwork and stuff of Christian things, but, but they, it's, they don't have any beliefs. My point again, to this is when you witness to somebody over there, they say it takes 13 years on average of meeting with somebody constantly before they will accept Christ. Well, that's a long time. There was one, one guy that was been a missionary for that long. But when we were over there, he led his first person to Christ or Christ had, God had touched his heart and moved him and allowed this man to do that, right? But it, he had been over there for over 11 years. That's a lot. That's patience. That's a long time to be going out and to continue to witness and continue to minister, and just and getting nothing back from it. But that's that's patience, and that's what we're called to do. So think about that when we're when you're meeting with people and when you're um, teaching, especially with your kids. We need patience with our kids, not just in the discipline aspects, but also with their with their faith and in Christ. It's not going to be perfect all the time. We need to have patience with them. And this last one here, of course, of the of his attributes as love, personal attributes as love. He finishes with my love. I talked about this a lot last time, but again, this is love, the word is agape. So it's the self-sacrificing love. It's not an emotional, it's not a a lustful love. It is a self-sacrificing love that Paul had for all. Paul's concern was for anybody and everybody and not himself. He truly had this attribute of love. And we are called to have that same attribute, right? God is love, you know. John 17, 26 says, and I have made your name known to them and will make it known, so that the love which you you love me may be in them and I in them. We are supposed to have the love of Christ in us. The love of Christ will help us with our faithfulness, will help us with our patience, will help us with all those attributes that we have. If we love others as Christ has loved us, we will serve others sacrificially. I look at Paul in the example that he had in Romans 9, 3. This, is, this shows you the love that he had for God's people. He said, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What Paul is saying here is that he would give up his salvation in a way if they would could, all the Jewish nation could be saved. Now, that, Paul knows that can't happen. Paul knows that he is preserved to the end. But that's his love for his brethren, that he wanted them to be saved, and that's a sacrificial, self-sacrificing love. We know that he couldn't give up his salvation, but that doesn't mean that he didn't have that exact love for the other people that he needed. And this leads into his last personal attribute, which is perseverance. Perseverance. What does perseverance mean to you guys? What does it mean to persevere, especially in our walk? Long-suffering, yeah, it goes back to the patience thing, right, yeah, long-suffering with those people, if you're having, if you love them, you will long-suffer with them and you will persevere through things, what else, some examples of perseverance, yeah, I'm sorry, Ah, I like that. Commitment and endurance. Yeah. I like that. Because if you're committed to something, you're not going to just throw it aside quickly. And endurance is, you know. Anybody have runners in here? I oh, know we got some runners over here. Yeah. Long distance. You have to have endurance to do long distance, right, to keep going. Persevere through things. What else? Anybody else got in Those are all good. Yeah. Yeah, to keep going. Yeah. I got to read that book. I've never read Pilgrim's Progress. I know. Don't hit don't, don't hit me, but yeah. But yeah, persevere through the things. Keep going. Trudge through. Life's not easy, right? Being patient with people, loving people sometimes, a lot of times, is not easy. Yeah. I'm sorry, I can't hear. Bearing up in the face of difficulties. Yes, bearing up in the face of difficulties. Yeah. Yeah. To keep going. Don't give up, right? Don't waste the time. We, we are to persevere through all things. Now, the flip side of that is, if you're a believer, we are preserved by God for our salvation, right? But that doesn't mean that we just sit and idly by I think we've obviously seen that. We don't sit idly waiting for things to happen just because we have that assurance of our salvation that we're preserved by God, we are to continually to persevere through things. And if we look at Paul's life, which Timothy, he's saying here, Paul persevered through a lot of things, right? I think more things than any of us probably have ever been through. I don't want to assume that, but more than likely, I don't think any of us have been beaten, left shipwrecked, um, you know, the things that he had went through. I don't want to get too far in that because we're getting ready to get that. But I think that's why he leads with my perseverance. And next he goes into, Persecutions and sufferings, and when I first was looking at this, persecutions and sufferings, I kind of joined them together, <clears throat> but I think, I, I think it's two separate things, right? You can be persecuted, but then you can also just suffer because of the circumstances that you're in, right? And I think Paul was clear on that, especially through this book, as he continually tells Timothy, "Suffer with me through hardship, suffer with me through this, suffer th- with me here." But per- persecution is what we go through, or what you can go through. As believers, right? And so, before we get into a little bit of um, uh, Paul's persecution, I wanted to read something that is a true story about persecution. Because I think we've talked about this a little bit. We talked about this when we talked about suffering. We talked about this when persecution. And I'm not saying that we're not persecuted or we cannot be persecuted here. But unless you have been, like Paul, imprisoned or killed or your family's been killed, that we know stuff happens all around the world. I don't think we truly understand, and maybe you do. I don't want to assume that. I don't, I have not been through that. I've not been punished or locked up or beaten for my faith like some people have. Um, But I want to read this this story of Billy. I doubt it's his real name, but we're gonna call him Billy because he's from Somalia, maybe it is. Um, Somalia might be the most dangerous place in the world. Decades of conflict have gutted the country's infrastructure. Somalia's economy ranks dead last among all nations. And it, is a matter of, um, it, is, it isn't a matter of if you will experience a terrorist attack, but when. Billy was born into a religious family in Mogadishu. I don't know if right. His father was a tribal and religious leader who had memorized the entire Quran. Out of curiosity, Billy started studying the English Bible alongside his Quran. After three years of study, he converted to Christianity. He learned a lot from Christian radio broadcasts, from the Kenyans, Uh, from Kenya and it was on the radio that he first heard the voice of another Somali who was a Christian. Billy's family threatened him when he confessed his new faith. That was when he first began to understand the words of Paul in 2 Timothy 3.12 Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Six years after his conversion Billy met his first Christian Somali. Together as underground Christians they gathered 14 believers and started an underground church. A year later Muslims discovered the growing Christian community and started persecution in earnest. One of their church members, Labain, now a famed Somali martyr, was the first to be murdered. Then a doctor who attended the church was shot to death. An educator was kidnapped and executed. A Christian man and his Muslim wife were executed together in their bedroom. Another church member was taken off a bus and executed in broad daylight. Twelve in all were murdered. None of the murderers were ever persecuted. Today, just two members have survived out of the original church of 14, Billy and one other. Billy escaped many attempts on his life before moving to another country. From that base, he travels in and out of Somalia, planting and nurturing underground house churches. No longer are there only 14 Christians in Mogadishu. The church is quietly growing, partly because of the testimony of those 12 who died for Christ. When I read and I hear stories like this, That's some serious persecution. And I'm not saying that again, that we don't necessarily get persecuted here. We don't, don't, I've never experienced anything like that. I don't worry about my life. I don't worry about somebody coming in and killing my family over my beliefs. But he is clear in verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So in some way, in some form, it may not be as severe as Billy's life, But in some way, some form, we will undergo persecution. If you are trying to live a godly life for Christ, you should expect persecution in some form of a way, right? And if you don't, I'd say maybe we should should look at your life. Are you taking the opportunities to preach God? Are you taking the time to minister to uh, your co-workers or to family that uh, may not be believers? Because I guarantee you, if you start doing that and they don't like what you're saying, you will be persecuted in some form or fashion, maybe isolated from your family for the time being. They may not want to see you again. They may want to um, dissociate yourself. You may have end up losing your job if you uh, decide to do things at work. I'm not encouraging that necessarily, but I mean take the opportunities you have to 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 preach Christ. And we know Paul's life. I just want to leave a little bit of Paul's life of the persecutions and sufferings that he underwent. We all know his stories, but uh because he, he tells exactly where it happened. You know, Persecution and suffering, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I, I endured. And I love the last part here. And out of all of them, the Lord rescued me. So in Acts 14, 19-22, says, But Jews came from Antioch. I mean, they were coming. They, they, were, they weren't even there. They came from other places to come get Paul. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derby, I'm sorry. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That's one of my, that story just blows my mind. I mean, to get stoned where they're perceived as dead and he just like, gets up, brushes himself off, walks right back in, and just starts preaching again. And not only that, look what happened at the end. He says, and after they preached the gospel in that city, they made many disciples. And they returned Iconium to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. Paul knew what his purpose was. He, he knew his love for the people. Most importantly, his love for Christ drove him to persevere through all these persecutions and all these trials. Wherever Paul went on his first missionary journeys, he dealt with persecution. And you know what? Timothy was right there with him on most of them. So Timothy experienced not either, either some of the same persecutions, or at least witnessed the persecutions that Paul went through. So this is nothing new that Timothy is hearing right here, but it is a reminder to Timothy of what is going to take place and what can take place. Paul's life and reaction to his circumstances was a witness to Timothy, and we know this famous quote. That Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 11:23 through 27. He says, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane, I more so. And far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And we know he goes on to say that his deepest struggle was his constant concern for the church. Paul loved Christ above all. And with that, he loved his church because we are part of that body. But look what he says. Out of them all, the Lord rescued me. So all those things he went through, the Lord rescued him. And not only, what, what, I mean, what did all that do? That helped his faith, right? If he got rescued out of all those things, his faith was only going to increase. Think about your time to struggle, the times you've been through some hard things. And you come through it. You may not at that time, see God's work in it. But if you can sit back and look, you can see God's hand in it. Um, personal, I mean, a lot of you probably know. Some of you don't. Um, no, I know I couldn't do it. I can't go there. <laughs> um, we suffered a lot last year with my son when he got hit in the head with a tree. And uh, during that time, our faith never wavered. But when we came out of it, on the, on the when we came out after a month or so, and we can, as me and Cindy sometimes sit back and and think about it, and we, we go back and and read her blog, her blog that she did, man, we see God's hand to it all, and it just strengthens our faith. There's nothing that we did; we see God's working through everything—the nurses, the doctors, our church family. The Lord was in everything, and He rescued us out of that. But that was not necessarily persecution to me; that was the suffering. That Sometimes we have to go through, but the Lord will rescue us out of them all, and He'll strengthen us through that. And I'm sorry I can't get that story out. So if you want to know more about that, we'll have to meet later, and you can watch me cry as I talk about that. I need to move on. So we're examples. I think we understand that because right something. Verse 12, though. Indeed, all desire live with God. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted don't have a lot of time, but how does that make you feel? I know we don't like to use that word a lot, feel, when it comes to the gospel. But I I do think that we need to be aware of certain things. If you're going to be persecuted in some way, some fashion, how does that make you feel when you hear that? Happy? Excited? Do we want to go through persecution? Raise your hand if you want to be persecuted. Caleb, put your hand down. <laughs> Caleb. No, we don't. So how does it make you feel when you hear those words that, that you may have to go through some serious persecution through Christ, for, for Christ? How does it make you feel? What, afraid? Thank you. Yes. Oh yeah, you took my verse. Yeah. <laughs> you no, that's good. You're right, and we should have that too. But I think when we first hear about it, though, I'm I'm afraid. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. Like my worst, I got this thing with my fingernails. Like I could I don't know. How, I don't know if anybody's been a POW or prisoner of war. Like, and some of the things they do to people, I, the little bamboo shoots on your finger. I, I it's, that makes me just freak out. Yeah. you <laughs> Ah, yeah, it's beautiful, yeah. She's saying her full reliance, comes on the Lord, comes to her when she's at the end of herself, and the full reliance on there, right, when you're just done, when you, yeah. Ah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You rely on His Word, which is beautiful. Yes. Right. So when I say that, I'm saying like that, you should be really like willing to raise your hand say, Yes, like I'm I a mean, funny person. Like that sounds insane, but like, yes, but like, no, I, I think that's what they that yeah. do. So like, yeah. No, I agree. That's yes. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, we should we should want to be persecuted because of what he's done for us and to proclaim his word and go that way, but it's scary to think about that. Yeah. Thank you. But I think if we think about it and we have that eternal aspect and the, and, and the mindfulness of it, I think that can get you through it too, right? If we, we know his word, we know he's done for us, and we're thinking about that, it doesn't just happen, it doesn't come upon us, and we're like, oh, wait a minute, what I do during persecution? That we actually learn what we're supposed to do through persecution, and then we know, we rely on his word It says that he will get us through all things. I think that helps, right? We need to think about it. I'm a little out of time, and I, I just want to uh, thank you guys for the, the comments, those are great. And um but the contrast here to the imposters, and I think we've spent a lot of time on false teachers. I know I have. But the contrast here, verse 13, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I think we can all pretty much think in our head of some of these people um, who, are, who are like this. But I think what's interesting about this verse is they will proceed from bad to worse. So they may start off, you may not even notice anything about them, that they're bad people. And I'm going to call out somebody because I think I read, anybody ever heard of Mars Hill, Mark Driscoll, um, they got a podcast on that. And he started off, you would have probably thought he was a good guy and, and was preaching Christ and was writing theological books and was doing all this stuff. But as time went on, it's just like this. He went from bad to worse, to where he had to be kicked out of his church. I think he left on his own before he could get booted. But he turned out to be, denied all the stuff he had preached about and was uh, just, it was not a good man, um, was abusing it, it was seem like that. And I, I think the next part too, deceiving and being deceived, that's interesting, right? So they're deceiving others, but in themselves they're being deceived too because they're preaching false doctrine, right? So in the case of what they keep preaching, they, they're taking it in at the same time, even if they may not even realize that. So the contrast here of what Paul is telling Timothy to do is you need to be all these things, all these attributes, your purpose. Your life should be dedicated to Christ. You should recognize you're going to get persecuted for it, but you can always rely on Christ, right, because the Lord rescued him out of all these things. And then we should be able to look at that and see the difference in that in evil men and imposters, just like Janus and Jamboree. And their folly will be obvious to all. It'll be obvious. If you're in the Word and you're, you're learning on your own and you're going and hearing good sermons, you're going to be able to recognize the imposters and the false teachers, and you need to be able, we need to be able to call them out. And It'll be obvious to all. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just again thank you for your message, Lord. We thank you for just the, the, the lessons that we learned through it and through Paul's life um, and as he is expressing these to Timothy, but Paul's life was just a reflection of Christ. And Lord, I think one thing that hit hard today is just that we should not necessarily welcome persecution, but we should not stray away from persecution. Even during those times of persecution, we could be doing so much more for you like Paul did when he was in prison and he was being beaten. He never stopped the eternal perspective to preach your word and to share others, or to tell others about you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would have that mindset. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that is, that are dedicated to proclaiming your word to those we come before this world is in a dire, dire need of your grace and your mercy, Lord. And we are your instruments. We are to fulfill the Great Commission. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just empower us, help us to, um, to, to have these attributes of this faith and this love, to understand correct teaching, to live our lives like we preach, to live our lives in a way that is a representation of you. That when people see us, they see you through us, Lord. Like your example is like we do not put a lamp and put a cover on and hide it under a table. We put a lamp up on the hill to be shown, to shine forth, and I pray that you would use us for that. Lord, we just thank you that you have given us the opportunity for that, Lord. And I do pray that if anyone in here does not know you, has not come to the understanding of your lordship, have not come to the realization of their need for repentance before you, they have not understood their sin and their separation from you, Lord, and that... They cannot come to you on their own. Lord, I pray that you would move their hearts and that you would call them to yourself, and that they would repent of their sins before you and cry out, Abba, Father, and Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for that. We thank you. I pray that you would bless this time of fellowship. Help us to lift one another up with edifying words. And Lord, I pray that you would bless the sermon and the music today, that it is pleasing as a sweet aroma to you, Lord, and that you would just be honored and glorified, with the words that are taught, words that are sung, and the words that are taught. Lord, we praise you for all you do in Christ. Let me pray. Amen.